pretty cool. So me and my daughter listened to like 70s singer songwriter music on the way back. Uh-huh. Jim Croce and just you know, oh yeah, even you Billy bet. Joel. And I mean, I was just like, why was I so pretentious? <laughs> like, I mean, those guys, those guys, uh, you know that that genre, that era of kind of pop folk songwriter wrote some amazing songs like right really well-crafted tunes yeah even piano man i'm just like this is really good why did it never occur to me my first in- instinct was that's crap and i just <laughs> never i never you know that was my reaction to it i don't yeah. know why <laughs> anyway <laughs> that's uh and i figure you do something like that right i mean you, you play music let's see all the yeah, well, you know, I I mostly play what I write. So, I mean, it's only been in recent years I've started to throw in a few covers from my most esteemed songwriters. Oh yeah, like, right. I, I do it as an honoring thing. Like I this this person has contributed so much, and I I you know mm-hmm. I I want to honor them. So I'm you know singing like you know. Um, Dylan, I do, you know, there's a couple of Dylan songs that I do. And, um, um, you know, Joni Mitchell, amazing songwriter. Um, she showed yeah. up on our, on our rotation. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's well, I don't write. So I've always played cover, you know, I'm a cover, yeah. but just obscure stuff. Nobody knows. That's, that's very cool. Maybe one day, you know, it's just funny how it evolves but in the moment it seems um yeah you know, like like it's forever <laughs> and so and I, I don't know what you know about my podcast but i'll give a an inner sort of a summary of what i do you know it's called knowledge plus experience equals wisdom with the idea being and coincidentally i was the name came up in talking with my wife and this daughter that i just took to toward this college eva and i said well you know it's like you, you learn stuff from books and that's like knowledge. And then you do stuff in your life and that's your experience. And that sort of adds up mathematically to generate wisdom. And she's like, why don't you just call it that? <laughs> and so <laughs> usually, and so I did. And weirdly yeah. enough, it's K-E-W, knowledge plus the experience equals wisdom. And it's Kathleen, Ella, Eva, Eliza, and Ren. So it's funny that all of my family's initials are K-E-W. <laughs> <laughs> which is on my license plate. It's really weird. Uh-huh. Um, nice. And so I, I, and mostly I explore topics that are interesting to me, you know, like uh, what is enough? Um, uh, like uh, what are facts? What is science? Um, what is a soul? What is a self? Just ramblings. And, and it sort of ends up being like a digital journal for me. And then I share it with the world to see if there's any interest. And who knows if that'll ever I'll ever do anything with it. But in the last 25 episodes, starting with episode 50, I started to discuss this, what I call the R versus should problem. This, what I, what I perceive to be the struggle that we have between the person that we are and the things that we want to do, um, presumably to please like ourself or whatever. And the things that we feel pressure from the outside the things that we should do or that we're supposed to do. And I'll, and I, a lot of that I got from uh, talk therapy, you know, you're shooting yourself to death. Don't, you know, the shooting is bad. Don't, don't do that to yourself. And yeah. so there's, there's some, some sort of history with that methodology. But I, and the reason that came up is 
one time somebody asked me what my podcast was about and I was like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> and I said, well, you know how there's the person that you are and then there's the person that you should be and how you kind of wrestle with that. And she was like, yeah, everybody does that. <laughs> <laughs> and so for the last 25 episodes, I've been you know, kind of struggling through this, like, what is this all about? How does this relate to things I know and other things I've read? And then I thought, I'll do an interview series with people that mostly that I don't know, just to get a random selection. Is she right? Does everybody suffer with this? Do people? Right. Um, and and so that's that's where where we are and what I'm doing with the podcast currently. Yeah. And it's really neat to have you on because as all my, anybody who listens to this knows, um, and pronounce your last name for me, Bjorklund. Bjorklund is. Perfect. Yeah. With a, yeah. with a Y. So Neil Bjorklund and yeah. uh, you, you are, you know, we have a relationship because uh, you helped me sort of work through this doing IFS and other things that I've talked on my podcast about a ton. So anybody who's listened to it before will know who you are. Uh, oh, okay. Sort of my background with you, but not to the degree, you know, that they should know you. <laughs> and so if you could, if okay. whatever you would like to say in sort of that context to describe you know, who you, and not just in a what you do, but kind of in a who you are sort of sense um, that you think might be relevant to that topic, to the podcast, to the listeners, and that you think is cool. <laughs> <laughs> the floor is yours. Yeah, we'll see how much I have to say about that, about the who I am <laughs> question. Um, but yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, so if you uh, in and in, in briefly or as extensively as you would like to talk about yourself, <laughs> who is Neil? Well, yeah, isn't that the <laughs> isn't that the question we're all asking ourselves? <laughs> you know, yes, <laughs> and and so I I um, I'm I, one of the one of the terms, and maybe I made this up. I don't know, but um, I've often referred to myself as a, a mystical pragmatist, meaning I have one I have one foot in the unknown, non-material reality, and I have the other foot very firmly in, you know, grounded, on the ground, hands-on. What actually works to improve one's life or uh, uh, improve um, the way we're interacting with nature or whatever the question might be. So um, I, I think I show up much more as a pragmatist. Um, somebody has to get to know me for a while to start seeing the, the mystical side. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, I think who I am has been obviously influenced by many things in my past, but the first thing that comes to mind is that I worked in local government for 30 years, and most of those years, I, were, I was the, the city's lead uh, planning person for all things environmental, all, you know, environmental conservation and protection. And what that did was it put me in this in-between place between the scientists on one hand and the lay people on the other. And my job became interpreter. 
<laughs> we like helping the city councilors understand what the science meant to them, helping bring science to our area so that we had documentation of what, you know, important habitats and species were here. And, and then also doing the same thing with the general public. So I've often stood at, at, at the junction of worlds. Um, yeah, that, right. being, that being one example. Um, you know, and I can relate to that because I've done similar work. Right. Yeah. Right. So ha- 30 years, I didn't realize you did that that long. I did it for, yeah. And I, it was unusual in that the first 20 years I worked part time in a professional role, which was a very lucky quirk of how I was hired. Um, (laughs) And they tried to get me to go full time and I said, thank you, but no. (laughs) (laughs) And then just towards the end of my career, I went, I went full time for eight years and then I retired. So does that, I've always wondered that knowing a little bit about your background, is that because of where you are, you think, because there's certainly that position doesn't exist in my community. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody wants to, cares about science and the nature. Oh yeah, no, it was pretty unusual, um, and actually it was a position that, in a sense, I created. They hired me to do something else, <laughs> and I was following the science and the the national uh, policy development around the Clean Water Act and the court interpretation that applied to wetlands and all that stuff. And I was the one that educated all of the um, uh, leadership and city staff. And after doing that a bit, they said, you know, I think we need you to work on that. (laughs) So I kind of peeled off from what I'd been doing and and ended up being a full-time planner for, you know, 20 20 years-ish. And and possibly... I mean, that's, I don't want to say one of the first ones, but certainly, you know, I know that all that, the Clean Water Act you mentioned, that existed sort of in my lifetime. So at some point, those positions weren't a thing. <laughs> and, and for me, anyway, I sort of associate the Pacific Northwest with a heightened environmental awareness. And maybe it didn't exist at some point. And you might have been part of that pioneering yeah, movement. <laughs> there was no position in the history of, the city like the one that I evolved yeah. into. Yeah. Um, and still? over the next, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, they actually did away with it. When I, when I left myself, there were actually at one point, there were two natural resources planners, um, two, you know, two different people that I hired at different times. And when the two of us left, they didn't, hmm. you know, and in a sense, we did the work that was needed. I mean, we did all the inventory and protected all the resources that were in need of it. And there wasn't much left to do, you know, unless the city were to expand into a large area, yeah. which hadn't done yet. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, the job that I worked on that was similar, I don't think ever did. I mean, I, and I'm not saying this facetiously, I don't think they ever achieved anything. Um, which which is unfortunate and i think it's actually fairly common with those sorts of efforts because it's hard to actually change the political machinery to get anything to happen write write any ordinances or uh, create regulations once it goes that far you get a lot of resistance that's that's pretty amazing (laughs) 
that you and and I guess it's well, is there anything else you'd like to say about that sort of um environmental um responsibility, I guess issue? Well, um this is not quite answering that directly, but uh one of the ways all that influenced me, one yeah. was I had to learn to uh, I had to learn to think on my uh, feet and speak extemporaneously in front of whoever it was, selected officials, legislators, the media, um, TV camera yeah. in my face or whatever. Um, and that was, that was fabulous training. Um, really, really valuable. And the other thing, you know, it, it, I'd studied ecological sciences and various natural sciences in my, you know, undergraduate work. Um, but applying it for all those years and uh, having to explain it to people kind of grounded it in me. And it influences how I understand the self. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, we've, we've had this conversation a little bit, I think the, the ecology of mind yeah. or the yeah. ecology of the self. Um, and so, I mean, the, those metaphors come easily. <laughs> um, and well, and, 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 it, and maybe that's part of what brought us together. I mean, if you want to talk cosmically like that, because I'm at a, at a much more earlier stage but all of a sudden those things are starting to click for me that these models um, may overlap <laughs> or that at least that maybe ecology and ecological principles, which are not even could arguably are bigger than just ecology. I mean, they're economic, you know, they're, they're general patterns uh, could be used to describe the goings on the workings inside our consciousness or something. Uh, it makes sense to me, but I can't fully, I can't get it out at my body, you know, <laughs> to talk about it <laughs> <Right>. yet. <laughs> so yeah, to the extent uh, that, I mean, you know, maybe uh, or not either in or outside of the context of the R versus should problem, any insight, any expanding on that you'd like to do would be cool to hear <laughs> like the ecological okay. model in the self. I mean, if you just want to wax poetic <laughs> on that subject, I'm curious. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a, it's pretty fun to to riff off of e basic ecolo ecological principles and think, how does that um, correlate with the mind, the experience mm -hmm. itself? Um, and especially after I uh, I moved uh, kind of sequentially more and more into parts work which is based on the model of multiplicity of mind. We're not a unified self. We're a collection of interrelated selves. Um, and like, once I started to really learn that and see that and work with that, I'm like, oh, well, this even makes more sense now because the experience of I is actually the experience of an ecosystem of selves that are related to each other in very specific ways. Um, and they cause the whole of us to show up in, in particular ways. And, you know, yeah, so the, the are versus should, um, you know, well, there's a whole bunch of questions there, and, you know. <laughs> Good, <laughs> <I guess. laughs> Well, it's like the... Oh, the 
Go ahead. Well, the you know, uh, when you told me like a couple of weeks ago, the topic we were going to be talking about, I thought, oh, yeah. And what I almost always do is I first investigate the question. Like, let's leave the answer, you know, for a moment. And yeah, let's, right. Let's look at what question we're asking, why we're framing it that way. Oh, wow. And what are these experiences that we're calling should and I? <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I think back to my training. That is the I always used to tell my students, what's your question? You're like 10 right. steps into this problem. What question are you asking? So good reminder for that. And I don't, I'm not sure that I did that. So. Uh, oh, good. Yeah. Well, let's, let's I, play I don't think with I've, it. Yeah. I don't think I've done that yet. Right. Um, because I mean, you, if, you, when you're doing a scientific study and you're gonna, you're gonna publish it. Right. And you have advisors or, you know, co-authors mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, you're, you spend a lot of time vetting the question. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You want to, I mean, for a lot of different reasons, you know, is it commercially viable, which is unfortunate in the state of science today, but it's sort of like, yeah. is this a sexy topic, you know, or whatever. I, I'm not influenced by that in this work because <laughs> <laughs> there's no, you know, there's, but, but I guess what I was sort of thinking is just sort of my own personal experience of feeling. And I, and I came at this specifically from a job perspective, which is very narrow because it's so much bigger than that, but sort of, um, and my, it's funny because my daughter just, we talked about this on the way back that she's feeling all this pressure from everyone in the family, except me <laughs> to do something that gets her money. Like when she said she wanted to go to VCU, which isn't known for art and study art, everybody, but me would say, Oh, well you, you should do something where you get money. You're, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to make money with that? Basically picking her apart. And so to me, that's a should. That's just the world outside of you telling you sh you should consider these things and, and not what you're actually thinking about, which is your R. So, I mean, that's kind of as far, well, that's what, that was the original impetus. Got it. I sort right. of, I've tried to, so, so what's your sort of, you don't have to use that context at all, but I mean, what may, what do you think of when you sort of think of that conflict? Well, you know, where my curiosity and, and, uh, and interest go first is the R part. Um, because what, what is it that we're expressing when we're saying, well, I really want to pursue art. That's more me. Um, right. <laughs> Where did that come from? Like, and, and, and I don't mean, you know, whoa, that hit me out of the blue, but really yeah, yeah, like yeah. what, what are the roots of that? And, uh, you know, you hear people use language around, um, you know, I, I want to really be myself. Um, I want to, um, you know, self-actualization um, be true to myself. There's all these phrases. Authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I get really interested about, well, let's go inside of one of those. Let's look around. That is um, so cool. I'm, I'm like physically excited at the idea of <laughs> stepping back. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> for the sake of discussion, if we're, if we 
look at this through the lens of uh, multiplicity of mind, mm -hmm. what part of yourself are you putting it in the front as an artist? Wow. wow. Because there are, you know, what the, what the, you know, the IFS work is showing, you know, across thousands of people who are trained in it and, you know, hundreds of thousands of clients is that we have, we're, we typically, when we do the work, we discover somewhere between, you know, 35 and 50 parts of ourselves that have a distinct recognizable point of view and response to the world and likes and dislikes and lots of things like that. And so it's a really interesting thing to ponder like yeah okay what what part is wanting to be the artist and what other parts are also in there that you know aren't in the front somehow yeah i was kind of looking at it as you know r would be self and there would only or that there would only be one of them and the shoulds right. are all these other parts and in the in the what in the context of there are no bad parts you could have 50 percent 90 percent are you know <laughs> like or and there may be a third category in there of some blend or overlap. I mean, yeah, that's really <laughs> yeah. as complex yeah. as you want to make it. <laughs> well, let's make it more complex. So, yeah. <laughs> so when you talk about shoulds, uh, it's you know parents, other caretakers, teachers, mm, you know pastors, whoever the adults are that are influential and maybe see themselves in the role of my job is to raise a, this child to be a good yeah. citizen blah 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 well what happens to all their influencing well it gets incorporated into the into the mind of the child mm -hmm. and those different experiences um, don't live in a unified self they live in a multiplicity of self so now those shoulds actually also live on the inside. Yeah. Right. So you have, you have outside shoulds that are, you know, people are right. still yakking at you to do this and don't do that. And, and that, and, and at the same time you have parts inside who have taken on those shoulds because they believe that's how we're going to get love from mom or get respect from the teacher or the coach um, and, and so it's self-protection to take on these shoulds. And so you're really, you know, you've got them coming from inside and outside. Well, yeah, they get internalized, right? I mean, they become a part yeah. of you, whether you continue to call them shoulds and pretend that they're external pressures, but they're actually now uh, perpetuated or sort of made alive. Well, and that made me think, you know, there, one, one testable hypothesis is that all of our parts are originally are. And that over time, they get influenced to varying degrees with the amount of shoulds and that through the IFS work, we could actually be helping them be less should and more are. But what you say is there, there some of these things are good, right? This is what one of my interviewees pointed out that, you know, not learning not to burn yourself on the stove, <laughs> you should not touch a hot stove. <laughs> it's right. probably a good one. <laughs> you know, you're, you're kind of biasing 
the the should the positive and negative connotations to either one of these things or, uh, yeah. or extreme reverse cases you know jeffrey dahmer liked to eat people well was was that his r <laughs> you know, was, that, <laughs> was that him just being himself <laughs> probably not but for the sake of yeah. argument well and then that would that the question that begs for me is where does mental illness fall in the r versus should yes um, totally. You know, are we are we thinking of of that dichotomy within the bounds of kind of normal, healthy psychology uh, of a person? Um, and you know, I, I, my mind keeps going back to okay, there. You know, mom and dad keep telling me I need to go to school and learn something that will earn me money, but I really want to do art. Um, and so, yeah, that I'm, I, I'm like, my mind keeps going back to that. Okay. Who, who, or what is the experience of, I want to do art. <laughs> you know, we say, well, that's me. That's, that's the real me. That's what I really want. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'm like, okay. How, how much of you are you paying attention to? <laughs> yeah. How much of the experience that you call I are you noticing? And, and, and uh, how much are you distinguishing among the different experiences of I that cycle through you every day? Wow. Because that's, the, that's, you know, my experience and what I see with clients is these uh sub-personalities or viewpoints or parts, they kind of come up and we see through their eyes and then they kind of step back and we see through another set of eyes. And without training experience, we think all of that is a unified eye. Yeah, right. Well, like and, and, I just happen to disagree with myself on some things, you know, like, <laughs> or, you know, I feel an hour ago, I felt the opposite of how I feel now, but that's all the same eye. Yeah, right. Well, and, and I mean, I'm pretty convinced it's the best thing that I've heard that makes the most sense as a model to understand myself, and I'm fully behind it. But what that made me think of is what makes in this case, Eva, so sure that like, why would her reaction, like what could her other scientifically, like what are the other alternate hypothesis we could have applied to her? Why did she say, well, I will, but I want to do art. Like somebody says, you need to get a job where you make money. And she says, but I want to do art, which has behind it so much, so many assumptions. Art doesn't make money. Right. This is going to be in disagreement with this person. Like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Did, did somebody plant the idea that this was a inferior choice in her head, which made her, or did she bring that sort of, you know, was this a part that was defensive? I, I don't know, to begin with. <laughs> and how come the part didn't say, yeah, I'm going to make money. I'm going to do art. <laughs> right. Well, it, it What's, so where's the problem? So what I heard in that example is the, the very real possibility that the person outside shooting framed the question, framed the issue in such a way that there was a dichotomy of either you're going to make money or you're going to be an artist. And so she answers as they framed it. I mean, that's a, you know, 
something that I learned, you know, in my days working uh, with the yeah. city as a spokesperson with the media, they want to frame how you're going to talk about something. And I never, mm-hmm. I never bought into their framing. I say, well, that's really interesting, <laughs> but think about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and as a child, you know, being influenced by your parents or whatever, you don't have those, that skill set, right? Um, but right. you're right. Yeah. So I you mean, accept that's... their framing because they're, they, they are the source of truth. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then just whole... to complicate the ecosystem, another step. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> let's look at the people who are and you should earn money and their ecosystem of parts and who in them is committed to this role. I have to make sure my daughter, my whoever, um, you know, is going to be able to earn money and why, and what's the story behind that? Right. And, th- and this is one for me, I think about a lot, it's intentions, right? I mean, and she even said this today, like, I don't think anybody's intentionally trying to make me feel bad about myself or whatever the result would be. Right. They mean well, they're just trying to help me. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> but again, now that could be a part of her. Why does she want to defend this? Why is... Why is the, this ecosystem becoming more complex over this issue? It's, <laughs> it's not just black and white. So all the other parts start to show up and, and sort of support or not. Uh, which on the one hand, is it can be frustrating for me because it seems to spiral into impossibility. Like how am I ever going to get control over this these levels of complexity? But, you know, I think knowing what the universe is or as much as we can first and then go back and sort of say, all right, these aren't so important. We sort of go back and focus again. Um, But yeah, what, what, what other elements of complexity can we add before we start to disassemble? (laughs) 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 Because why would it not, where does it, where does any of it come from? Like, why can't it just land on the original question is why are you going to go to college? And it's sort of like, well, I want to study this. And, and all the rest is sort of some sort of part. And as uh, many of the ones we talked about seem like they're based in fear or mm-hmm. something. And so how do you get rid of that? <laughs> or not get rid of it, but, you know, how do you know, how do you, how, how do you, do it that's help more less unhelpful i don't know i mean or is it a problem all depends on the framing like you know there's a level where there isn't a problem uh because it's just the world unfolding as it's unfolding and that's just how it happens um but as an individual with with um with all the conditioning that we have and uh, the limitations of our language and the limitations of our human organism. And, you know, you add all those components in and and things can become problematic. But the picture that I had in my mind was, so like, and we'll just use two people, a, a person who has concerns 
about you know livelihood that could be um, could be generational, could be like a, a legacy burden that some you know uh, person down the family line you know in the depression lost right. everything That's and, exactly. and that that story consciously or unconsciously has been passing down like who knows where that's coming from but there's there's a concern back there there's and and it's coming from a legitimate concern somewhere in that tree um (laughs) and but so there but there but that's a person with multiple um sub personalities or parts and so there's a conversation going inside that person's mind which this should voice is sort of winning out (laughs) yeah well i should i shouldn't be saying this you know or or i should do this or why are we talking about this and and then the should like no this is really important i need to tell her this you know so that's all going inside the person and then over here she's hearing this and she's got various parts and and a lot of the a lot of the quote unquote conversations between our parts are are unconscious we don't notice them Mm -hmm. until we really start to practice noticing them at which time we can begin to notice there's actually there is a conversation or multiple conversations so then you know on her end there's these conversations going on and somehow the defensive perspective comes out in the front Mm -hmm. on that you know, it's like, uh, uh, I don't know, this is a weird metaphor, but like, you know, two, two armies or maybe just two communities are needing to make a decision and they send, they send one person out to do their talking and they've somehow decided <laughs> right. that person and the other side does the same thing. But within each community, there's not that much agreement, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I and that's an kind of, that's like one way that I, I picture human conversation is <laughs> there's I, I a lot more going on than we acknowledge. I did an episode asking this very question, basically saying, how do we ever, how does a conversation ever end in success? Because so much is going on on both sides. Misinterpretation. I didn't hear you right. I didn't say it right. This word means a different definition. The, 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 the sharing of information via language. It has so much room for error. How do two people ever walk away going, yeah, I got that. And, he, or, and they knew what I meant. <laughs> like, yeah. Does it ever work? <laughs> I mean, it must. <laughs> and so I guess we have to accept like I find myself like wanting to cut to the chase, not because of our time, just because, you know, I want, I, I've been, I've been asking this question and think about it, thinking about it for months now. And right. it's sort of like, I keep looking for, well, what's the right way to do it? And, and meaning, is there a way to resolve, you know, or address the R versus should problem that, you know, is there even a level of appropriate analysis or, or conversation. And I think this is relevant to IFS. Like, is the goal to simply listen and accept that life is messy? And this is, you know, because for me in our work, what I've learned is just paying attention. It feels like a huge leap. And, and all of a sudden, it doesn't become important to me anymore. 
if all of my parts are right <laughs> or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, which was a, maybe that's a part, right? Maybe that's a preconceived fear of my own that I have to find the right answer or that there is a right answer. Um, does that make any sense? <laughs> it, yeah, it does. <laughs> and so the, the first, I mean, I think there, I maybe have two parts to my response. The first part is, um, well, I'm, I'm going to go to the second part and then, then come back. So um, I talk about, uh, I, I like to talk about how I work within a model and I don't assert that my model is truth or true or that it's right, or it's the, any, any of that. I simply assert that it's helpful to use it. So that's my pragmatism, you know? It's like, if beautiful. it works, use it. If it starts not working, don't use it anymore. Um, and so, um, so is the, you know, what the right way to do something, to me, I would ask a different question. What's, what's, what is it that you want as an outcome and what's the best way to get there? I mean, that's a very coachy kind of thing to ask someone um, <clears throat> because, you know, asking what is right is so fraught with, um, you know, potential areas of debate. <laughs> Impossibility is what it's fraught with. And right. There's no yeah. Because it's, yeah, that would mean that that every potential perspective in the in the universe and beyond would align around doing yeah. it in one particular way. But, um, but that is a pre that is a very human thing, I think, is to want to be fixed or healed or right, however you want to say it. Like there's some yeah. static point that you're trying to arrive at. Enlightenment. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and since you mentioned enlightenment, that's kind of what I was going to go start, you know, leaning Sweet. in that direction a little bit. Sweet. So, so, you know, in, in IFS um, and in other, uh, in other models, there's an aspect of being that is not one of these parts that's not a uh, kind of definable point of view that has a certain way of seeing the world, certain reactions to things that happen, prefers certain behaviors. In IFS, they call that self. And, you know, it's somewhat analogous to other, you know, Atman, Buddha, you know, the, the Buddha nature um, and other terms like that. Although I, I don't draw those connections. I just say in this model, <laughs> we mm -hmm. talk about this experience called self and it is what is there when all of the other parts of mind feel safe and relaxed and they drop kind of back. You know, we sometimes say behind us. In other words, they're not in front of us mm -hmm. making us look through them anymore. And that experience of self 
is a is a is an experience from which a lot of things get a lot easier <laughs> because because self um, and and in some traditions authentic self is the term and uh, it's like you know the true self the highest self there's all these different terms which ha- all have some analogous qualities but self in the IFS world is the agenda-less point of view. It doesn't need any particular thing to happen. It doesn't need to be seen any particular way. Um, It doesn't need to do or not do anything. Um, And uh, it's it's a wonderful space to be in. Um, and to experience the calm and the clarity that's, that's there. Um, and, you know, and based on the experience of all these thousands of therapists and hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of clients, most people are able to access self. Um, and they're able to access this aspect of their being from which it's possible to help sort out these uh, internal conflicts and help these parts that are jumping into the front, trying to run our show because they're really concerned about something that might be about to happen. And when they're calm, they can relax. Well, those parts that have that distress response, they learned that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, our organism is designed to have them learn that, <laughs> like self-protection, taking self-protection actions based on past experience. Um, and so, you know, we, we help them, you know, let go of those when they're no longer needed. And the, the perspective of self is the perspective from which that is most easily possible. I mean, that is, that was gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. So are articulating that. So be, I mean, that it, it makes me tingly to even think about that. And, <laughs> and it's sort of, it almost makes the whole our versus should question seem silly, <laughs> but it, but, but it isn't, I mean, it isn't because we want to help the parts that we have reduce their struggle. And what you said that really resonated with me is in my work with you and other things, I keep, I've redefined sort of that at word enlightenment with some of the very terms that you use, like calm and no, the, the not the no need to do something like, um, don't you know we don't need to be distracted you know yeah and and i think and i've and i've told you before my younger desire for inebriance and psychedelic drugs and things have been i thought i was i was chasing one thing but what i was chasing was the experience that you just described <laughs> of of being in self and sort of having calm and peace and the lack of distraction and and no need to sort of change whatever it is you're doing that's a really that's cool. <laughs> and I, I, I appreciate you telling us what, what that is and sort of how it works, because I think that that makes a lot of sense. 
but it, but it is kind of weird. I, there was another thought that I had about um, how that relates to the R versus should. And I think it has to do with sort of letting go of it. And, you know, it, it's sort of not, not that you're giving me therapy right now, but is, is the, is the quest for the, well, yeah, because this is you talking, which is cool. I mean, I feel like you're actually discussing this. Um, but I shifted back for a minute into our other relationship. <laughs> so I got to jump back out of that. You know, is the, is the quest for an R versus should or an, answering a, a pragmatic question like that to use your kind of pragmatic and then mystical combo. Do we, when we do those things, do we sort of know that we're in that world and that it doesn't really matter? Right. Like it only, or it only matters in the context of the pra- pragmatic world in as much as, do you, you see what I'm saying? Because it doesn't matter in the mystical world or whatever that we even really know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's interesting. This, um, I had like several thoughts kind of like sailed through as you were talking. Um, the first one was um, I think the R versus should question is still a, a valuable question to ask. Um, and it's valuable to ask questions about that question. The, the, for me, one of the real keys is um, it, Matt, to, in, in my frame, it matters less what I do and more how aware I am of what happened that led me to whatever I did. Yeah, right. So that awareness, you know, and, and like self is able to just take in whatever is happening inside and outside. And it's not, it's not objective in the science kind of way. It's objective in that it doesn't need to change anything kind of way. <laughs> But it, it's like self does seem to include uh, characteristics like courage and compassion and curiosity, which are not things we normally ascribe to, you know, abiding non-dual awareness, like right, right, being right. beyond the, the opposites. Um, and so Interesting. it's, you know, I... I, I leave the question of like how all those things relate to one another you know self and atman and enlightenment and all that like i i'm i'm i have curiosity about that but i haven't spent time with it so (laughs) wow yeah that's 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 so much um it it, hmm. i must need like a minute to let my thoughts sort of settle in my head that's a lot sure yeah go ahead (laughs) <laughs> well, it's just what my, my, I, I, I want, and I'm wondering now if this is sort of a part in the context of sort of the IFS model of my past history with science and sort of the way that I go about asking this question is definitely something that, you know, I, you could say I learned, or it's even been shooted into me, you know, to follow this thing, which I still believe in the scientific method. I think it's a useful model (laughs) to think about how we ask questions but what you've suggested here is sort of not being um restricted by or constrained by that particular model because 
because it is, it does make you do things like move forward too quickly, like leave the question behind and sort of move linearly through this model. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? You seem like you got some. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know where I learned this from, but I really like the invitation to sit with the question and maybe, maybe the, um, um, the, uh, now I'm blanking out on the, the Buddhists who use koans, the Zen, the Zen, mm-hmm. Zen Buddhists, um, you know, that's literally part of the practices their, their, you know, their teacher gives them a, a koan, which sometimes is a question, is a nonsensical question. Oh, and yeah. they, sit, they sit with it. They yeah. just sit with the questions. They're not trying to answer it. Yes. They're, they're, yes. they're, they're abiding in the question. And, you know, I find that just like I often say, our analytical mind is incredibly valuable. It can be exactly the right thing in many circumstances in life. And there are arenas of human experience in which it's of very little use. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, so, and, and so the same, I would say the same for science. Um, there, are, there are realms of human experience in which science um, maybe one day will shed some light on those aspects of, of being, but maybe never. I mean, I kind of hope there's always going to be mysteries of, about humanness sure, that sure. science doesn't have a pat answer for. Um, and that, you know, that, so that, that dwelling in the question is, is kind of the opposite. It's like, um, it's like the Taoist concept of not doing. Let's be with this and not analyze it or do something or try to get a result or, you know, create the concept there's an answer or, you know, there's, cause science can lead us down a, a too limited path often sure um in our in the way we're taking in the world and ourselves oh uh, yeah and i and i i say this all the time i mean when people take science too seriously it ends up sort of backfiring on itself i think and that's a lot of the problem i think we have in communicating climate change is it comes across as arrogant science and the gospel or whatever you want to say, which is not something science was designed to do in the first place. So we, many ways we're doing it wrong. (laughs) And that's a healthy reminder to sort of try to to, try to avoid that and and sitting with the question, which makes me sort of wonder like, what then is the goal or, and and again, not the goal, but what did, what would that, (laughs) would, 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 would that result in for me? I could see sitting with a question to the point where, the question no longer becomes important and it just sort of dissolves away, but then you've never, you know, on a pragmatic sense, you've never then addressed it or come up with some, you know, maybe the importance of it. And maybe that's right. Maybe you shouldn't have been asking that question in the first place because it does dissolve. And then another alternative would be you just sort of think through it in a, in a way that didn't use reason or didn't use logic that comes up with this, new solution or potential explanation that is 
better, if you will, <laughs> than the solution that could have come from the science itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the word emergent came to mind. Um, uh, sitting with the question might allow some awareness to emerge that isn't an analytical thought process that's not um that's really not a thought process at all right um you know you and i've talked a little bit about um uh silent knowledge the the knowledge that doesn't use language it's just direct knowing um and so to me dwelling in the question or sitting with the question is making room for that to emerge you know which which could could result in oh this is not even remotely the right question for me to be sitting with even (laughs) let alone answering i mean that is mind-blowing because i mean i don't want to be critical of my former colleagues but you know as a a scientist who stepped away from it I can sort of look at it differently. And, and I have a lot of problems. One of them is being people say it's the only way to do anything. It, it results in the truth. You know, all of these properties of science that we've given it that it doesn't deserve. Uh, and so you, it made me think when you said that, that the people who created science, I don't think their intention was to ignore any of the things that you're talking about, right? There still has to be other methods that we use to answer questions that don't fit into that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, that's kind of my pragmatic uh, framing of this is don't, don't throw out uh, things by choosing just one model <laughs> yeah. because and I, again, I don't know where this quote came from, but um, some spiritual teacher said, uh, no belief system is true, meaning the single truth, mm-hmm. but some of them are helpful. Well, yeah. And I've heard <laughs> that about models. Some, some, uh, yeah. all models are all, no. Yeah. What is it? All models are wrong, but some are helpful. Right. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. how I learned They're it. They're wrong or incomplete or however you want to say that. Right. And so, so this begs the question for me is where are those other tools? that we need in the box. You know, you don't open the box and there's just science or opinion <laughs> or whatever <laughs> else we use today to find the answers yeah. to things. Where is this other, and why are we not learning this in seventh grade when we learn about science? And to me, the work that you do and the, the knowledge that you have and the wisdom and experience um, is that. <laughs> You know, these, this, these, these other tools, these Always other the ways other, of yeah. going about, and I won't even say answering a question and not even asking a question, but sort of dealing with a question, right? Yeah. That's, and I, I'd go maybe a step further. And, and it's, for me, I think it's, it's how do I really follow the unfolding that is my life? Wow. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I've actually used kind of mantra slash, um, um, you know, repeated phrases um, like, I trust the unfolding of mm-hmm. my life now. Um, because 
that that's a that's a you know Taoist non-doing mm-hmm. kind of framework. I'm paying attention to what is unfolding, and and you know I've often this is something I've learned uh, you know definitely later in life where you know common wisdom or or uh, intellectual analysis would say take action now, you know want to get somewhere get out there and do the thing and get it done. And, and my observation is sometimes I wait and watch and see how things are unfolding. Wow. And there's a moment that I recognize later on, ah, okay, now is the time for the action. I mean, the Taoists say this exact thing, um, you know, in some of their writings. And I, but I was like, when I observed that kind of, in my own life, that stuck <laughs> in a way that reading about it didn't. Well, and we've had, I've had similar experiences with you where I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, but I've heard it. And when I heard it, it didn't make any sense. And I almost disagreed with it, but then I experienced it. And I was <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I guess all of a sudden it seems like it has the capacity to be meaningful. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. Yeah. You know- Go ahead. Well, no, I just want, I find myself wanting more people to have this, to be aware of this unscience, <laughs> if you will, yeah. uh, way of, I don't even know how to, I don't have the language uh, to describe it, to think about their day, to, to unfold their lives or to, you know, to watch it unfold instead of trying to control it. I mean, I really think it's almost like a universal thing. And I guess it is the best thing language I have for it is non-doing, not doing sort of thing and, and faith and trust in it being okay to do that because it seems like as humans, the shoulds maybe, or just the fiber of our being is not that. You know, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable for us to, to do this. And so we create this world where it's not okay. Yeah. And again, you know, if, you know, somebody's rushing at you full tilt with a spear aimed at your chest, that might not be the time you want to watch your life unfold. (laughs) You might want to access one of your other ways of being. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, in that case, you know, evolution will take care of it, right? We're going to have these automatic, you know, that would take a lot of skill to unlearn that. <laughs> yeah. Those sort of, that's hilarious. Well, I, and I think, I think whatever this thing is, there's an anthropological history element to it, right? I mean, it, and I don't, maybe this is just ecology, but I find myself doing that where I need to contextualize. I, I, I think about this all the time, like the, what we were talking about before, two humans having a conversation. How, does, how do they walk away feeling satisfied? Well, what was that like 10,000, 15, 20, 30, 100,000 years ago? <laughs> maybe it was perfect. <laughs> and we've, un, you know, like sometimes I think, you know, we've been devolving since the Egyptians. And then you're like, Maybe we've been devolving for a hundred thousand years. I, I don't know. Um, 
but that 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 putting into context like what is this a recent thing you know that we contemplate our navels and we ask these kind of questions or because i think of the taoist and the buddhist as being that's old stuff right in the context of of modern humans um what are your thoughts about that like do you think at some point we had a superior connection to the non-science world or is this a recent thing or are we still you know on a path toward gosh i don't even know what you call it a more metaphysical an appreciation or allowance of the metaphysical yeah that's that's a that's an interesting question i mean when you were describing you know our deep ancestors you know hunting out on the plains or you know whatever they were doing their their world in many ways was far less complex than ours like the things that we have to know about just to maneuver through this world that we've created i mean their brains would not have been able to handle it probably i mean i'm sure the complexity of our brain has evolved as um as the complexities of of survival have um have grown um it's fun to and, think about and shifted from <laughs> physical to perceived survival, Ooh, um, yeah. and which is, you know, drives a lot of our parts, <laughs> like the yeah. perception that we're in under threat, um, which our physiology treats as though it is physically That's... an assault. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I don't even have a, have a, uh, have a guess about, um, I mean, clearly going back many thousands of years, humans had the urge to explain the why of things. As soon as they had language, they Curiosity, started yeah. they started, yeah, being like, well, how did we get here? Why what are those are, things in the sky? Yeah, why, <laughs> and how did they get there? And yeah. how do we relate to that? And um and you know the the well in this moment i'm thinking well and those questions constantly asking those questions probably helped evolve our brains to be able to uh access uh additional ways of perceiving um and then you know there are i mean i don't that's total conjecture on my part i well i've never heard it said it but it sounds cool it's fun (laughs) Because people talk about all the time, the, the you know, the basic, well, when the saber-toothed tiger jumps on you to eat you, then you have this reaction. It's like, well, yeah, but also there were a lot of other things happening, <laughs> like right. contemplating the, the stars. And so, yeah, well, I never thought about that selection pressure on our brains. And uh, I guess I have this, um, you know, a part of me has this sort of bias that the and our ancestors were in some ways superior to us uh, mm. in their relationship back to what you were saying in the beginning the connectivity of things and their just awareness of the ecology and how they fit into the biological part of the ecosystem and i wonder if they also didn't have some 
insight into their, I don't know, emotional, mental, the other aspects of their existence um, that we just, and if they did, then we can access that. <laughs> you know, like in, with, the, don't get me started, but the other thing I think about a lot is like genetic memory. Like, um, okay. you know, there were our ancestors, presume, are the, if, you know, there's, there could be some memory of that uh, relationship to the, and I don't, and we don't even really, I don't have a word to describe sort of the, the, the non-science world. I've always thought that's metaphysics or spirituality or emotions or, you know, anyway, it's fun to think about what our ancestors, how they dealt with that, how they dealt with the unfolding of their lives. And, and I, I agree with you. And like, it seems like it would be less complex meaning they had more resources to deal with it because the, I think the gut reaction of most people is, Oh, that's, we were just surviving. You know, our, our day was all about survival. And so there was no luxury time to think about these things, but you went straight to their lives were less complex. And anyway. Yeah. I mean, if you look at uh, civilizations that are, um nomadic um uh and communal that are around mm -hmm. today uh there there's there's actually more leisure in those cultures than there is in ours with all our reading technology seriously i mean yeah and it's funny that uh, my wife and I talk about this and our sort of like desire for retirement and watching people retire and just the idea of less is more. The thing always comes up. And this is a big thing in the sailing community because the people are like, look, if you move onto a sailboat, there's going to be a lot of days where there's nothing going on. So you need part of, I guess, one of the struggles is not, am I going to die from a wave? It's how are you going to deal with all this free time? And <laughs> yeah, which is a seems like a dumb thing to ask because what, but it's real. We don't, uh, we're very conditioned in this day and age and place to be busy. I mean, it's yeah, and be everywhere. And we certainly weren't. That's fun. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I know it's getting to the point where we should probably quit. Um, but I really appreciate you sharing this sort of time with me and hopefully listeners and viewers <laughs> to sort of yeah pick this no, apart be, i don't I mean, get it, to have this kind of conversation very often so good um, well i hope i hope that you enjoy your framing of things it's really fun well and just the fact that you take it seriously uh is so cool and you've thought about this stuff before and just to sort of see you sort of wing it <laughs> is awesome because you're you know so far ahead of it than me um and, and it's and it's good to have the context of because I do get sort of excited and sort of I find I feel myself falling back into the sciency mode where there's an urgency to finish something, um, and it feels so good to like remember that that's not part of it. You can just ask and think <laughs> and wonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sit with it. Watch what's unfolding. Yeah. Uh, and, and normally, I don't know if you have any interest in doing this, um, a lot of my interviewees will sort of share their their social media or their plugs or their whatever it is that they're doing. 
I don't know if you have any interest in where people could find out more about you or. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My website is practiceofselfmastery.com. And that's the best place to go. I mean, you can search on that same phrase on uh, Facebook and you'll find my Facebook page, but um, there's more going on on my website than my Facebook. Awesome. Cool. And uh, yeah, there's so much more. (laughs) And I'm right. Because I get to talk to you tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And I look forward to that. It's great. Yeah, me too. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. And I feel like I I can't wait to go back through and dig through. Oh, and one last, is there anything that I didn't bring up that you wanted to hit on before? Uh, No, no, I I didn't have any preconceived ideas. Um, It was a really fun conversation. We went into some interesting corners and um, I appreciate you inviting me. Awesome. Great. I I appreciate your time and uh, I will talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks for coming, Neil. You bet. And then we can end it there and we can also get off the phone. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awesome. Yeah. We are tomorrow, right? And then not next week. Correct. correct? Yep. And I hope you have a blast doing whatever you're doing next week. Yeah. Chasing birds. (laughs) Sweet. Awesome. I really can't. Northeastern Oregon is the best place in the state to get the Canadian, you know, the birds from the Canadian taiga and tundra coming down That's in the winter so, time. And man, so I'm, I have my fingers crossed. There's probably are they going through or do they stay there? They're, they're both hanging out there. Yeah. That's man. They're coming That's down so and hanging cool. out there. And a yeah, few of them straggle further south. You know, we might get one or two of those birds in Lane County here. But I decided I'm, I'm not going to wait and hope. I'm going to go to where I know they are. <laughs> <laughs> like and it'll be, the... you know, unless the weather's really horrible, it'll be a really fun trip no matter what I see. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, beautiful, that's beautiful awesome. country up there. Good. Yeah. Cool. Well, I can't tell you how much how fun that was for me. So awesome. Cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for asking. Sure, man. I'll see yeah. you tomorrow. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Bye, Have a good evening. You too.